It's good to see such wonderful-looking faces in here. This always brings me great joy. I don't know about you, but I, I love to come to this class, and I love to see all of you. You are so welcome here, and we're glad that you're here. And as Jordan mentioned, we are continuing our study in this one page, I guess in my Bible it's about a page and a, a third, letter to Philemon. As you know, Philemon was um, a, probably a wealthy man, and he probably owned enough house, a house large enough to house the church. The church in Colossae met in his house. And the, the occasion for this letter is that we know that he had one slave. He may have had more than one slave, but he least, at least he had one, and his name was Onesimus, if he only had one, but he, perhaps more. And Onesimus, for some reason, ran away. And it's possible that he may have taken some money or some other valuables with him and went to Rome where he could hide himself, perhaps, from authorities and for those who look for slaves so that he would not have to go back. But as God's providence would have it, Paul was there, and somehow he providentially ran into Paul. And of course, as Paul's custom was, Paul would always share the gospel with whomever he could. And so he shared the gospel with Philemon, and Philemon, by God's grace, through regeneration, became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul affirmed that in, 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 in the book of uh, Colossians by testifying to the reality of Paul's, of um, Philemon, I mean, uh, Onesimus's great service to him while he was there as a believer. We don't know how long uh, Onesimus was there with Paul as a believer, but he was a true believer because Paul called him a brother. And so, uh, but Paul knew that he had escaped from Philemon, and as a result, he sent him back. In fact, he sent him back with Tychicus, along with this letter, as well as the letter to the Colossian church, and also the letter to the Ephesian church. So they had some wonderful uh, hardware with them as they went back to Colossae. We started this letter last time with a brief introduction, and so we will continue today in verses 4 through 7. And what I would like to do now is just read those verses, Philemon verses 4 through 7. He says, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have great joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So as Paul's custom was, he would begin many of his letters, he began many of his letters by thanking God for the ones to whom this letter, his letters were addressed. And in this case, Philemon. So he is thanking God. And he says, I do it always. I thank my God always. And so if we look at this verse, we see that first of all, 
Philemon was a person that Paul considered to be thankful for. He considered him very highly because of what God had done in him, and as a result of that, he was thanking God. Notice he says, I thank my God. Now, for those of you who were with us when we went through uh, Colossians, or you may want to just turn there briefly, there's a little difference in the language in terms of how he began that letter. If you look at verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, we give thanks to God. But here he says, I thank my God. And we may ask the question, um, why does he make a little difference? Because uh, Timothy was with him as he, is, as he was when he wrote this letter. So why did, he, why did he not include Timothy at least in this letter? And we don't know for certain, but I believe that because this is such a personal letter to a good friend of his, he is basically writing it from a personal perspective. This is a somewhat of a private letter in terms of his writing of it. It was probably read in the church there, which kind of, I'm sure, astounded the people that Philemon was there, probably when it was being read, as well as Tychicus. But I think the reason he says, I thank my God always is because of the privacy of the letter when he was actually writing it. Now, he says, I thank my God always. Does this mean that Paul was always praying at every moment of his waking life? No, I don't think that's what it means, but it seems to mean that when Paul did pray, he thought about his good friend Philemon. As you know, Paul was probably the one who shared the gospel with Philemon, and he became a believer in the first place. So he was thanking God for the work that God had done in him and who he had who he had become because of that great work that he had done. He was thanking God for him. And this is, this is common in Paul's letters. Paul said it in many places that he thanked his God for the work that he had done in individuals, as well as in groups, for example, like the churches in different places. Many of them he had already he had evangelized in, he had shared the gospel in, and he was thanking God that God had used that gospel to transform the lives of many people. So let us look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and think about a transformed life. In fact, my subject is thanksgiving and prayer for a transformed life. Notice in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, notice what Paul says there. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. I love to read this whole section, but because of time, I'm not going to read this. this. These are such wonderful words here. This is talking about God initiating our salvation. He chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. 
This is an amazing thing. You, th you think about this great God who created all things, who brought all things into existence through his son, even before he did that, he set his love upon us. He set his love upon us to have a relationship with us. That is such a wonderful thing to think about, to meditate on, to reflect upon. But that's what God did. This is exactly what the word of God is saying here. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. He chose Onesimus, this runaway slave, for this same reason. For Onesimus is included in this. That is why I'm sure that Onesimus found his way to where Paul was in order that he might hear this transforming gospel and, and be enabled to repent and to believe and become a citizen of the kingdom of God. This is an amazing passage. But this is what God does, and this is what he has done. And that's why Paul, I believe, thanks God for these people who he know to be believers. And this is a question we could ask ourselves. How often do we thank God for fellow believers? Even those of us in this room, how often do we thank God for one another? This is um, an example, I think, for us to do. I know that I struggle sometimes, many times. I have difficult days. I'm sure you have difficult days. We need the prayers of God's people as well as thanking God for the people and also praying for them. Not only did he say that he thanked God always, but he makes mention of you in his prayers. He mentions Philemon by name, it seems, in his prayers as he is praying for different ones. And uh, I think we want to be doing the same thing because we all need prayer. There's temptations out there. There's challenges out there. We still live in a fallen, cursed world that's pervaded with sin and evil and wickedness, which is in opposition to the life that we want to live. And so let's pray for one another, as Paul often did for those that he knew. And he goes on, if we look at other letters that Paul wrote, we see that thanksgiving was uppermost in his mind. Notice, you don't have to turn there, but I, I just wrote some verses down from several letters that Paul wrote. And many of them, perhaps most of his letters, begins with thanking God. Notice, uh, listen to Romans 1.8. He says this. He begins by saying, first, I thank my God. Very similar language as we have here. Through Jesus Christ, for you all. Why? Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. In 1 Corinthians 1.4, he says something very similar. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. In uh, Ephesians verses 15, chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, he, says something, he basically says the same thing. For this reason, I too have heard of the faith. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Notice this. Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Philippians 1.4 says something similar. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, 
always offering prayer with joy in, every, in, in my every prayer, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for all of you in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. First and Second Thessalonians as well as Second Timothy open in a very similar way. So Paul was always thanking God for fellow believers, especially those that he knew about. And even those that he may not have known, he had never visited Rome, Rome at this time, nor had he visited Colossae, but he was thanking God for the believers there. And also he was praying regularly, letter B of Roman numeral 1, verse 4a, making mention of you in my prayers. And as we study Paul's letters, as we just looked at, we're able to learn much, much more about him as we study his letters. What do we learn? He loved God. He loved Jesus. He loved the gospel. He loved the church. He was a man of much sacrifice and suffering. He loved to preach and teach God's word. We also learned that Paul was a man of prayer. He loved to pray. We can see that especially in the beginning of those letters that we just looked at. But what I want to do now is to look at what I think is a typical, a somewhat typical example of how Paul actually prayed. Let's look at how Paul actually prayed. And I think a good place to go, again, is to Ephesians. We could have gone to Colossians, but we did that recently. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll continue from the verses that we looked at a moment ago. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. We'll read those verses again, but we'll continue on. This is a little bit lengthy. But I just want to give us an idea of how Paul actually prayed and what he actually prayed for. Verse 15 of chapter 1. He says, For this reason I too, um, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Now let's continue that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the word that here refers to the content of Paul's prayer. This, this implies what he was actually praying and how he was praying for these believers here. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that what we want? We want a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of who God is and his magnificence, his greatness, his love, his patience, his kindness, all of his attributes. Paul wanted them to understand that. He wanted them to know that. And he prayed for it, for them. This is what we should want other believers to know. This is what we should want to know about God and pray to that effect, to that end. Verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what, is, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward you or toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms or heavenly places or the heavenlies. 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is so magnificent here. When we consider the greatness of our God, the power of our God, the love of our God, and his ability to perform what, he, what, what we need performed on our behalf, it gives us, I think, great confidence. No matter what's going on about us, no matter how great and persistent the opposition to us might be, having this knowledge that Paul is praying for, for these believers, gives them great confidence that no matter what the opposition is, no matter how great the opposition is, we have a God who's able to address it effectively. I like it in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 or 20 and 21, that at the end, it talks about our God is able to do. He's able to act on our behalf. He wants to act on our behalf. He wants to do what is necessary for us to think, to speak, and act in a manner that glorifies him, that honors him. We have the right to pray a prayer like this for ourselves, for other believers as well. Because God wants to hear this from us, and he wants to answer those prayers on our behalf. Roman numeral 2, Paul gives reasons for his thanksgiving uh, for, to, uh, for, to God for Philemon. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, because of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now, when I first read this verse, I kind of thought about it a little bit, and I wondered now, is he really saying that your faith um, toward all the saints? I think the structure here might be considered as a chiasmus. You probably have heard that term a chiastic type structure. And this is how this verse could also be rendered. He's saying the same words. The same words that you will hear me read right now are the same words you just heard me read. Notice he's, uh, this is a chiastic structure. I think it's on your notes as well. Notice uh, how I laid this out. He says, I hear of your love, and then we go to the end, toward all the saints. In the middle here, he says, and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus. This is usually the way Paul says it, but in this case, he, he says it in a different manner. The structure is different, but I think the meaning is the same. He says, because I hear of your love toward all the saints. This is also a little reverse of the order that he normally writes this in. When he's speaking of love and faith, or faith and love, usually he puts the faith part first. You notice that, in fact, in some of the verses that we read earlier, he put faith first. Because usually love springs from faith. Faith is a means of being saved, and then love springs from that salvation as a result of the faith. So he's saying basically the same thing. Paul had heard, and notice the way he says it. Let's go back to... Philemon, uh, Philemon now, and look at the words here. 
verse 5, because I hear. The word hear is a present tense verb, which implies that he was hearing on somewhat of an ongoing or consistent basis here. The question we might ask is this, how was he hearing this? Not that he didn't know Philemon, he knew Philemon. But how was he hearing information regarding Philemon? Well, Epaphras, who was the pastor of the church in Colossae, had come to visit Paul. So he could have heard it from him regarding Philemon. And also, Onesimus came and visited Paul later on, and he may have heard it from him. But either way, he had heard about Philemon's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that faith, he had been transformed, which Paul already knew. But he also heard about his great love toward all the saints. This is an amazing reality, that he loved not only himself, not only his family, but all the saints. Now, I don't know whether this is mean worldwide, but especially those in Colossae, in whose house they frequented. They visited his house to hold services there. Because uh, in um, Colossians, it talks about, and the church, actually it's here. In fact, verse, um, verse 2, look at verse 2. At the end of verse 2, he says, and to the church in your house. The word your here is singular, which means his personal residence. This is where he actually lived himself, his family. And if he had slaves, the slaves and others who may have been there, but also the church met there. Some of those may have been slaves. They may have been slaves, not necessarily of him, but slaves of other people in that, in that area. So they came there as well. So he had great love toward all of them. This is amazing. This is a great virtue, love toward all the saints. Love is something that was given to us at salvation. In, in Romans, it talks about the love of God being spread abroad in our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit. God gave us, when he saved us, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. It's love. So love is in us. And Paul and Philemon was manifesting that love to all the saints. And that's why it was in him and in us as well. To be manifested or demonstrated toward all the saints. This is absolutely an amazing greeting, if you will, or beginning of this letter to Philemon. Philemon is letting, I mean, to Philemon, Paul is letting Philemon know what God has actually done in him and that he now has the capacity and the ability and should have the desire as well to do what is right or to do what Paul is going to request or ask him to do as we get into the body of this letter beginning next time that Jordan will cover perhaps most of. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You probably have it memorized. Notice what Paul says here. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we see here that salvation is a work 
of God, a work of God's grace, and we receive it by faith. And also faith is a gift as well. Faith is a gift of God to us, enabling us to believe in the gospel and enabling us to repent of our sins so that our sins can be forgiven and that we will receive the salvation that God graciously offered based on Christ, his person, as well as what he has done on behalf of those that he was appointed, has been appointed to save. And this has been done for Philemon as well, had been done for him as well. So let's look at verse 6. Notice what he says. <clears throat> and I pray, now Paul is continuing this prayer here. If you have an NASB translation of the Bible, you will notice that and I pray is in italics, which means it's not part of the original text, but it fits the context very well. It basically flowed from uh, the thanksgiving that Paul had been making on behalf of, to God on behalf of Philemon. He says, and I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. This is somewhat of a challenging verse to try to not only interpret and understand, but even to translate. It's a challenging verse. But Paul was concerned about fellowship. Fellowship is a big part of the Christian life, of the Christian's life. Because we have a lot in common. We have everything in common in terms of our spiritual life. We have salvation, which is common to all of us. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. We are a family. We have the same faith. We have the same baptism and all the other things that are common. That's what this word is koinonia. koinonia. It has many different translations or meanings so it's difficult to use one word to translate it. We read in uh, Philippians earlier in verse 5, I think it was, where it talks about your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. The word participation is translated from koinonia, the same word that fellowship is translated from, or the word sharing. So it's, it's a word that has many English usages or translations. So Paul is concerned about that. That is why he is so concerned about Philemon forgiving Onesimus. Now, when Onesimus goes back, well, he's, he already went back, but when he goes back, from our perspective here, he will now be a part of the church, which he was not before. I don't know whether he attended there or not, which is the house that he lived in, but he will now be attending the same services as Philemon and the other believers in Colossae. So that's why fellowship is so important here, and that's why forgiveness is so important, because if there's a rift or a breach in the relationships in that church, that could be difficulty or disunity. So Paul was concerned about how Philemon would respond. So he's praying for that. I think there's a lesson here for us. Whenever we're concerned about something that may be challenging, something that may be difficult, what should we do? Pray about it. Pray about it. God wants to hear from us. 
He wants to act on our behalf in, in the most difficult situation that we can have. Our brother Gary spoke about a lady that has been diagnosed with stage 2 uh, cancer. God still wants to hear from her. He wants to hear from us on, our behalf, on her behalf. That is a prayer request. Not only that we pray for as Jordan did up here, but take it with us. We don't only pray for people when we are here, but we want to pray for them even as we go. And as God brings those people to our minds, which we can also pray for, that he would continually bring them to our minds, and as he does, we pray for them. That's what, Paul, that's what God wants us to do. So this is what Paul is doing, is praying for the fellowship that it would continue in a wholesome, unified manner in that, in that church, even though another person is entering it who was not a believer when, when he left that area. But he is one now. He's a brother now. He's a brother now. So they want to welcome him. Paul wants them to welcome him and that he would be an, an integral part of the fellowship. So he prays for that. Notice what he says, verse 6. And I pray that the fellowship which is generated by your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. <clears throat> so the term fellowship is translated from the word koinonia in the Greek text. And I mentioned some other terms that it's translated into, participate, sharing in, and so forth. It involves a close association of mutual interests and sharing in the Christian community. It involves a close association of mutual interests, I read that, because of the believers are united to Christ. And not only are believers united to Christ, but they're also united to each other. Do you know that we are part of one another? We are part of each other in this room? I may be a limb. I may be an arm. You may, I may be a finger. You may be an eye or an ear. We're all related to each other in the same body. And so it's important that Philemon forgives Onesimus so that there would be a continuous unified body in that local church. And so that's what Paul was praying for. And he prayed about it. <clears throat> now, notice verse, uh, letter D, if you're tracking along here. He also prayed regarding the knowledge of every good thing within the believer. A key expression in this verse is the knowledge of every good thing. Every good thing in this expression refers to every blessing. Every blessing that we have received at salvation, which are many. We have been justified. We have been reconciled. We've been adopted into God's family. We have been forgiven and so on. So now that is part of our, a part of our who we are now. But Paul wanted Philemon to experience that. He wanted not only him to know about it, which this word knowledge refers to, but this word knowledge here is translated from a word which means not only knowing, but also experiencing. We learn it better when we experience it. Not only do we learn it from the scriptures, reading the scriptures, but we also learn it better when we actually act on it. When we act on it, it becomes more part of who we are experientially. And this refers to what I read earlier about we have been blessed 
by God the Father with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And God wants us to experience those blessings in practical ways. And the way we experience them in practical ways is to live them out. As I mentioned, the term translated knowledge is from a word that has, which is, means more than one thing in the English language. The term translated knowledge is epigenosis. It refers to not only understanding, but also experience of these blessings. One commentator, Peter O'Brien, puts it this way. He says, in the present context, this word, or knowledge, for knowledge, conveys both the idea of understanding and experience. The apostles' prayer was that not simply that Philemon might understand or appreciate the treasure that belonged to him and so to us, but that he might also experience them. It is necessary to use at least two English words to translate this one word, therefore renders it by understanding and experience. So this word that Paul is talking about here that's translated knowledge in our Bible means not only knowledge, but also the experience of the life lived out, that, that knowledge lived out in, in a person's life. And he says, for Christ's sake, at the end of this verse. Or some translations say, for Christ's glory. For Christ's glory. This is letter E. Do all for the glory of Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. What is, the glo what is glory? We hear that word kind of used around so much. What does glory actually mean? What does glory refer to when we're talking about Christ or when we're talking about God? Glory is the sum total of all of the attributes or the characteristics of Christ or of God. That represents his glory. That represents his magnificence, magnificence, his brilliance. Who he is is represented by the term glory. And glory means living in consistency, living in a consistent manner with the character of God. We bring glory to God by living in a manner that's consistent with his person, his character, his attributes, who he is. Jesus did that perfectly. We don't do it perfectly. Jesus said in one place, I believe in John, that the, he's never alone because the Father's always with him. Why? Because he always does what pleases him. And that is exactly what we want to do. We want to live in a manner that's consistent with the character of God. And we are living in a manner that's consistent with the character of God. We are pleasing God. We are pleasing God. In uh, 2 Corinthians, I believe it's in chapter 5, let's turn there and find it together. Here's an amazing statement by Paul when he's talking about um, being absent from the body and present with the Lord. In verse 9 of chapter 5, he says this.
Okay, I don't hear more pages turning. He says, therefore, we always have as our ambition, in other words, our aim, our goal, our purpose, whether at home or absent, to be what? To be pleasing to him, to be pleasing to the Lord. That is our aim. That is our goal. That is our end result is to be pleasing to God. For we know that when we are, he is always with us. And that's, where we, that's exactly what we want. Let's move on to, I think, our final verse. Verse 7. He says, For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. Here's our word love again. And I think that could be one of the reasons, as I mentioned, that Paul used the word love that, that he'd heard about regarding Philemon before he used the word faith because that was his main focus in this particular passage. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. Why? Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Notice that Paul continues to praise Philemon for his acts of love and bringing joy and encouragement to him and refreshing the hearts of the saints. Notice here this love, uh, this refreshing here. Let's look at the last part, the last part of verse 7. Look at the causal clause. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brothers. Through you, brother. As a result of Paul, I mean uh, Philemon, refreshing the saints, Paul is benefiting from that. He is receiving joy and comfort from, from Philemon's love because of his actions toward those of his house, those of his local church. Because he's refreshing their hearts because of how he is showing hospitality and love toward them. And so Paul is receiving benefits from that because Philemon is doing what is beneficial to these believers. He is blessing them. And as a result of him blessing them, Paul is benefiting from that because of his love for all the saints and his concern and care for all the saints. Now, there's some terms here that we want to look at. The term hearts here is not the normal word that's translated heart. Uh, You may recall that the word translated heart is cardia, K-A-R-D-I-A. But this is not from that word. It's from the word splanknon. That's that's a mouthful. Splanknon. And it means the deepest level of a person's innermost being. It represents, it's representative of the person. It means the seat of one's emotions. And in the King James Version of the Bible, it's translated the bowels. It can mean also the bowels, and it's translated that way there. The deepest, most the most in a, the deepest level of a person's innermost being is what he's referring to here. The term refreshed is a, translated from the word anapao, 
and it means to call someone to gain relief, to gain relief from toil. It is good to be refreshed. You're gaining relief from a long struggle of some kind. You're gaining relief from toiling or either working hard. I know sometimes when I come home, I gain relief. I'm refreshed. I'm able to sit down and forget about what has happened as I left from where I left from, that is, from rest, I mean, from work. It also means to take one's rest. So being refreshed is a good term. And that's what Philemon was doing for these believers, these saints who were meeting in his household. He must have had the gift of hospitality. He must have had the gift of hospitality because he was refreshing those saints. He was showing wonderful hospitality to them. Can you imagine? Uh, these, many of these people have been working hard, and all of a sudden now they come to a church service in Philemon's house, and they can just sit and rest and be refreshed. You know, I think about uh, our home fellowship group. I'm part of a home fellowship group. The home fellowship group does not meet in our house, but it meets in another couple's house. And sometimes I'm really tired and weary when I go there. But because of the hospitality of this couple and the warmth of this couple and how they have laid everything out and they have so prepared their home to receive us, after I'm there for a couple of minutes or so, sit down, we sing our song, I feel like I've never worked that day. It, I'm so refreshed. This is what hospitality can do for someone. I'm sure many of you in this room have the gift of hospitality. You can welcome people into your home, or you can welcome them wherever the meeting is going to be, and they feel so at home there. That's the way I feel in this, this couple's home. In fact, I even welcome the group to their house. That's how, that's how comfortable I am there. I'm refreshed. I'm not thinking about what may have happened during the day. I'm focused on God's word and the people who are there to fellowship together in this wonderful house that we are now meeting in. So that's the way we want to be. We want to be hospitable and refresh people. That is what Philemon was doing often. And as a result of that, Paul was receiving much joy and comfort as a result. So, what can we take from this? We can take from this that we want the same thing we took last time. We want to be in a position to forgive people. Whatever their sin might be, we want to forgive them. Not that we don't follow biblical guidelines in terms of, of doing this, but we do not want to hold anything against them. Think about this. Paul was asking Philemon to forgive a man, even though he never used that word in his letter, but to forgive a man who had wronged him, who had left him. That's a capital offense. He could, have actually had, he could have actually killed him. He could have killed him. The law was on his side. But I don't believe that's what he did. I do not believe that that's what he did. I believe that he wholeheartedly forgave him. And that was a relationship of love and fellowship between those two men moving forward. And that's where we want to be. We want to be in position by God's grace to forgive people no matter how wrong 
they have been to us. Why? Because no one can ever do to us what we have done to Christ. Christ is holy. He never committed one sin. We have committed sins. So therefore, our debt to him is far greater than anyone's debt to us. And now Christ has forgiven us not only one, two, three, four, five, or six of our sins, but all of our sins. We are totally forgiven. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, if, if that's all possible, as much as it, as Romans says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. In other words, as much as it depended upon Paul to have fellowship with that person, if they're going to be in the same place, same area, meeting together, whatever the case might be, you want to have peace and fellowship. Uh, forgiving is not only forgiving the person and not holding their sins against them, but also to be in a fellowship-type relationship with them as well. Even in this fellowship right here, this group right here, if someone in here wrongs me or wrongs you or wrongs someone, we want to be able to forgive them completely and be in a love, fellowship type relationship with them. Yes. Yes. Uh, it may be impossible, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We want to forgive them because that's what we are to do. We are commanded to forgive one another. As the verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, I think this is a wonderful verse in this context. Notice what he says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Notice the word there, forgiving, which is a, I haven't looked it up, but it's a present tense translation here. Continually forgiving one another. How? Just as or in the same way as God in Christ has also forgiven us or you. So we want to be forgiving one another. Our fellowship is far sweeter when we forgive because we're not thinking about perhaps a wrong that a person has done to us. If we're thinking about a wrong that a person has done to us, it makes it very challenging and very difficult to have this, this type of fellowship that God wants us to have as fellow believers in Christ. Yes, you want restoration. That's a different story. Uh, yeah, that's a different situation. That's what the verse says, uh, as much as it depends on you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What you don't want is the lack of reconciliation to be at your feet. Yeah. If it's not going to be complete reconciliation, you want it to be at their feet, not yours. Let's pray together.
Our Father, what a joy it is to have the privilege that you've given us to come together as your people, the people who belong to you, that you have redeemed, that you have reconciled, that you have forgiven, you have adopted in your family. Father, I pray that you would give us, continue to give us a heightened understanding of what it means to be brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may be concerned about them, that we, we may be concerned about their welfare, their well-being. Give us hearts of compassion. Give us tender hearts. Give us merciful hearts. Give us hearts that, that's quick to forgive, that are hearts that are willing to forgive. And Father, we pray that by your grace we'll be able to do that so that we may maintain the fellowship that you've established in our church. We commend ourselves to you and to your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.